Okay, we are in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 still, and I believe it's still page 1168 in the Pew Bible. <coughs> Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. You'll note, uh, this is contemporary with his letter to Philemon, the, one, the little one-chapter book, um, Onesimus, the slave that Paul talks about in Philemon, he mentions here in Colossae, and also Tychicus, who is delivering the letter, is also mentioned in Philemon as well. So uh, Philemon was a part of the Colossian church. <coughs> so many times when people study the book of Colossians, they also study the book of Philemon, but <coughs> we're just doing Colossians, at least for now. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, Paul has given thanks for the believers and how God has been working through them and what God has done for them. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 9 just to back up a little bit, but our, our passage today will, will be uh, verses 15 through 20 that we're going to take a closer look at, but I'm going to go back to verse 9 and read all the way down through verse 23 so we can um, get the flow of thought again. Just before we read the scriptures, just a word of prayer together. If, if you would, please pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. And as we have sung, Lord, as we have sung, I pray that you would, Lord Jesus, would be first and only our, our heart's obsession and our great treasure. Lord, we des my desire is that those not just be words, but that be the reality of my heart and my life, and it's my desire for each one here. <clears throat> we need you, Lord. We need you so much. And uh, we just ask that you would come now and bless the reading of your word to us. And Lord, bless this next few minutes of preaching, and I just ask for your help as I preach and as we all listen to your word, and I just ask that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit of God, would you please speak to our hearts and our situation from your word today. And then help us to respond in a way that pleases you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9, going down through verse 23. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The word of the Lord. So, um, our section today... Come is that section just in verses 15 through 20 where he's specifically talking about Jesus and Jesus' identity, who he is. So this is a packed paragraph. Uh, some scholars believe this was an, an early ancient hymn or perhaps a a creedal statement of declaring the truth of who the Lord Jesus Christ was. There is a lot of truth in these verses. Um, I don't know if there's any other place in all of the scriptures where you have such a densely concentrated pack of information about the Lord Jesus Christ and his identity. Um, Whatever the case It's interesting that the Holy Spirit of God put it on the Apostle Paul's mind to record these words. Um, And I I ask the question as we begin, before we we dive in and kind of look at each of the verses, uh, I ask the question, what was Paul's purpose in writing this to the Colossians? That's a good study question to ask yourself. What was the author's purpose in saying this the way he said it and how he said it? Um, What kind of response was he hoping to elicit from the Colossians who read this letter, probably gathered in a house church, and um, they're reading Paul's letter from jail, 
And what, what kind of response do you suppose that the Apostle Paul was driving at when he, when he, under the inspiration of the Spirit, penned these words in jail to the Colossians? What, what was his hope that it would produce in them? And you might be saying, well, if he doesn't say it, why ask the question? Well, I think it's helpful to ask the question because it drives us into, well, what's his main point in the whole letter? Remember, his main point in the whole letter is to lift up the excellency of Jesus Christ. He wants these people not to be taken captive by empty philosophy according to the traditions of men, by plausible arguments, by asceticism, by, by worship of angels or keeping feast days. He wants them to realize if you are in Christ, you got everything. Christ is all. And in all, he'll say, say later in the book, he wants to lift up Christ to these people because he wants them to recognize what a treasure it is to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to be had by Jesus so that they will not be distracted or deluded or deceived or taken off course and so that's his, that's, his over our, that's his main goal in the letter. So we can imply from that probably his intended response would be for them to treasure Christ, to recognize, wow, what was I thinking? I don't need, I don't need to keep the Jewish feast days. I got Jesus. All the feast days were pointing toward, forward to him. I don't have to worship angels i worship jesus now it's it's just a short step from thinking about what he was wanting them to respond with and asking the question of how does god want us to respond today very similarly he wants us to see what a treasure is ours in jesus christ and so he spends time and energy pending these words. I mean, this is loaded with truth. And so may God help us as we, go, as we look at this to be wowed by Jesus Christ. I think one of our needs today is to get outside of ourselves. So many voices I hear today is look inward. Uh, ex try to find your life purpose and your identity by looking inward. And, you know, I, I really believe that that's wrong-headed. The Bible tells us to look outside, look outward, and look mainly look upward to the Lord Jesus Christ and see what His identity is. And the more you understand His identity and your relationship to Him, your identity will become more and more clear. Your purpose will become more and more clear. And so um, let's look at these words that the apostle, by the inspiration of God's spirit, wrote. Verse 15. He, that he's talking about the antecedent to this, goes back to verse 13. His beloved son, he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. 
Um, that means that Jesus is the very representation of God's nature. Hebrews chapter 1 says, I'll just read it. I'll, I'll just read the first three verses of Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's another loaded description of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's the exact imprint of God's nature, as though in the ancient world people used signet rings, like um, there would be a person's uh, likeness on the ring and they would push it into wax, and that was like their signature. That's where we get the term signature from. Or sometimes people would carry these little porcelain uh, cylinders around their neck, and it had their, their uh, unique symbol on that, and they would take that off and roll it in wax like a wax seal. That was their signature. Well, in, along those lines, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the full expression of the nature of God. Ad, he, he is, last week I said he was the prototype for Adam and Eve. Uh, after studying this week, I'd like to say he was the archetype of the first Adam. He, he is, whereas Adam was made in the image of God, Jesus is the image of God. He, he is the exact expression of the nature of God. And then he, he says he is the firstborn of all creation in verse 15. Uh, the, this, is a li, this is a literal translation of the Greek uh, letter that Paul wrote. And he uses the expression, the firstborn of all creation. Sometimes this verse has caused confusion in people's minds. Uh, like, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses would use that verse and say, see, he was one of the cre creation. He was created. He wasn't the eternal son of God like, like you Christians say. And um, I would just say that the, that the little word of, in the Greek language, it's the genitive case. It can be taken in different ways, just like in English. And I'll give you an example. If I say... He's the kicker of the team. What's that mean? Well, that means he's the kicker of the team. But it, all, it means he's one of the team, right? He's on the team. He's a team member. But if I say he's the coach of the team, that's a, that carries a different sense, doesn't it? It carries a sense that He's over the team. He's not, a, he's not really a team member. I mean, in one broad sense he is, but he's not a team. He's not a player. He's over the team. And in the same sense, the little word of here, I think, should be taken. And some, I think some translations actually do it that way. He's the firstborn over all creation. And that, I believe, is the proper way to take the word of here. And I'm going to give you two reasons. 
the very first reason comes in the very next verse. Look at what he says in verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So that means he made everything. Now, if he made everything, he can't be a part of everything that he made. Because then he'd have to be before he was, which is absurd. You understand? So, in other words, the, I know that the of in verse 15 should be taken o, in the sense of he's the firstborn over all creation because the very next phrase says he made everything, which means he existed before it. That's, that's reason one. And reason two, um, I would just take from, uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm just going to refer back to Psalms. The Old Testament, the word firstborn many times carries a lot of freight with it in the Bible. And in Psalms chapter 89, I'm going to read verses 20 through 27. You can just listen if you want to, or you can turn there. If you want to see it for yourself, Pew Bible 586, page 586. But this is Psalm 89, starting at verse 20. This is God speaking. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Do you see that? Do you hear that in verse 27 of Psalm 89? I will make him the firstborn, namely the highest of the kings of the earth. So in that psalm, God is, it's not talking about biological, like, oh, he's my firstborn. You know, he has certain traits of dominance and alpha, alpha male or whatever. It's not talking about birth order. Firstborn is carrying the freight. God makes David, he's going to make David his firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That means God's going to exalt him. And of course, this psalm is talking about the future fulfillment in Messiah. So the firstborn basically means the highest, the greatest, the king of over... Um, all creation. He is the firstborn, the king over all creation. And then he goes on in verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I just love this because it includes not just the things we see. And I remember last week, I talked for some length about the realities of invisible things. Uh, there are so many invisible things that we do not see, and there are many visible things that we can see, uh, but Jesus made them all, the visible and the invisible. And not just things, but 
powers and rulers and authorities and laws of physics. He, he made all of that. Now, I don't know if you're getting, I don't know if you've had your coffee this morning or if you're asleep, but just, this, we're talking about Jesus, born in Bethlehem. I mean, pre-existed forever at the right hand of the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But at a certain point in time, around B.C. 4, I think, or B.C. 3, some scholars think now that we were off a little bit. But anyway, at Bethlehem, when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, Luke chapter 2, it was the first registration that happened while Quirinius was governing Syria. All the world was to be taxed. Joseph and his betrothed spouse, Mary, who was pregnant, go to Bethlehem because Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. This, this God, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became a flesh and blood man. You say, how can that be? I have no idea. I also have no idea how God could create the tuft titmouse that sat on a limb about that far from my face while I was deer hunting yesterday. And he was just looking at me like, what are you? And I have no clue how God made that. And I have no clue how God caused his eternal son to take on flesh and blood, and become a man. But this is not just any man. This is the God-man. Fully God, fully man in one person. And the Bible says he made it all. Now, you say, well, wait just a minute. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God, God created the heaven and the earth. Isn't that talking about God the Father? Well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three persons, one God, I know. It's another mind blower. Uh, everything's a mind blower. You give me one thing that you can exhaustively explain. The Bible says now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Someday we will know fully, even as we are fully known, when, when Jesus returns. But right now, our knowledge is partial. It's, it can be real knowledge, but it's partial knowledge. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all were involved in creation, because in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the, first, the surface of the waters. But especially the Son, God the Father, commissioned his son to be the, a special agent in creation. He was like the foreman on the job. He made all those animals. He made the wood that his, his feeding trough that he was laid in as a baby, it was made out of wood that he spoke into existence. He spoke into existence the wood that came from the tree that he was crucified on a cross with. This is mind-stretching. This is the Jesus. Paul is saying to the Colossians, this is who he is. 
He made everything. The things you can see and the things you can't see. You know, I was, try, I was trying to come up with some cool illustration on the, th on the things that we don't typically think about. And I spent at least 20 minutes online uh, d looking into dark matter in the universe. You know, have you ever heard of that? Well, you probably know more about it than I did. Because 20 minutes later, I'm still about as dumb as I was. Uh, but I just know that there's a, the scientists believe from the te telescopes, the Hubble telescope and things, that the universe is expanding at a great rate. And large, vast portions of the universe are filled with dark matter. And there's, a, there's a, one category is cold dark matter and warm dark matter. And don't ask me to describe them. It's just mind-boggling. Uh, but then they talk about measuring gravitational waves that time and space, time and, we live in time and space. Jesus is not bound by time. He created time and space. He existed before he made it. Hebrews 1, it says, it's through whom he made the world. It's the, it's the word Ionis. It means ages. Through whom he made the ages. Uh, he made time. He made space. I can't. I can't get my head around this, but they're big, massive objects like our sun and our solar system affect time and space. And when you have a really massive object like a black hole, we have discovered that space bends. It's like a big sheet stretched out really tight, and you put a bowling ball in the middle of that sheet, and the sheet bends, and closer to the bowling ball, it bends more. Further out to the edges, it bends less, but it's still affected by that massive sheet. And we, we have measured light from distant stars that has been bent around these massive objects. And not only is space bent, but when space bends, time changes. Don't ask me to explain it. But what I'm saying is Jesus made all that. He made, that's what this verse says, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. That includes all the satanic and demonic rulers and authorities. Jesus did not make them evil, but they turned evil at some point. Um, all things were made through him and for him. And I really want you to get that last two words of verse 16. All things were made for him. Jesus didn't just do this because he was bored or because he was lonely and he wanted fellowship with creatures. Jesus had full fellowship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were having a great time from eternity past. His creation was an overflow of all of his perfection. But he did it, it was made by him, and it was made for him. In what sense is it made for him? Well, it's all going to serve his purpose of glorifying and lifting him up as the greatest treasure in the universe. Someday, it's all going to serve that purpose, even the war in Gaza right now. And, and, and our hearts are grieved, and we pray to the only God who can make wars cease to the ends of the earth. And we say, Lord, make them cease. Make the war in Ukraine cease. Please bring peace 
even though it's a temporal peace and there will not be any lasting peace until the Prince of Peace puts his foot back down on this planet. And then he will make peace. He will bring judgment and then he will establish peace. But we pray for that. But somehow even these conflicts, even these tragedies are going to work for the honoring of Jesus Christ as the greatest of all treasures. I'm just going to keep, keep going. He is before all things. That means he existed before anything else, including time and space. We, we kind of already talked about that. Look at the last part of verse 17. And in him all things hold together. Wow. That's a statement, isn't it? In him all, all, all things hold together. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, which I read earlier, it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things. I've, I've used this illustration before, but does it ever blow your mind that your heart just, just keeps beating and pumping blood? To, you know, if it stopped, you'd die. And your lungs keep working and you, they keep filtering out all the pollens and stuff and, and oxygen is carried through your body. I mean, do these things ever, <clears throat> I don't know, in the morning when you're having your coffee or something, do you ever sit there and think, wow, wow. This verse says Jesus, uh, Jesus holds everything together. In him, all things hold together. I think this speaks of his, his providence, what, what, the, uh, what theologians call the providence of God. And <laughs> the providence of God includes not just him holding into being, but also governing and guiding all things. So typically... We think of the two great works, uh, well, we, we, three great works of God, creation, providence, and redemption. So creation, he did in six days, whether, whether you, you buy into, you know, the, there's different views on the, the 24-hour Genesis 1, but he created all things in six days and rested on the seventh and then in providence, he keeps things going, not in a distant way, like some of the founders of our country believed they were deists. They believed that God like wound up a watch or a clock. He, he created the universe, wound it up, and then set it on the shelf, and he's, he's watching us from a distance. The Bible will not allow for that. The Bible talks about the transcendence of God, but also the imminence of God, his nearness, and him holding into being moment by moment all things but it doesn't just mean he holds them in being it means he governs and guides them according to his ultimate purpose i love the uh, heidelberg catechism uh, we've it's been a while since we looked at that but i'm just gonna um read lord's day lord's day number 10 two questions about God's providence. And just listen to this. These old theologians living in the middle of the 16th century in Germany penned this. But uh, just listen to this. I think it's a beautiful scriptural 
uh, understanding of providence, and there's biblical references given to. Um, what do you understand by the providence of God? That's the question. What do you understand by the providence of God? The answer, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. <coughs> That's a massive statement. And I, I, don't, I don't have time to go into all the verses that they give to support that, but I do believe that's a biblically accurate statement. Jesus is governing and uphold. In him all things hold together. He is holding all things together and not just holding them together, but guiding and governing them. Even the, even the poverty and the riches, uh, sickness and health, war and peace, so that nothing comes to us by chance, but only from his fatherly hand. <clears throat> and in the next question in the catechism, I just have to read this. We, I don't think we're going to finish our paragraph this week, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll come back at another time. I just have to read this. Question 28. Well, what good, do, well, they say, what does it benefit us to know that God created all things and still upholds them by his providence? So here's the point. What's the good of the truth of God's providence? Well, here's what good it does. Here's what the benefit is, the answer. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have firm confidence that our faithful God and Father, in our faithful God and Father, that no creature will separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. Man, that is good. And it is true. Jesus determines when His creatures move and breathe and when their heart beats one more time. Amen. And aren't you glad He's on the steering wheel and not us? Sometimes we question him. There's a lot of hard things in this world. But I just want to say, I think he's, he's about to blow our minds. He's making all things new. And I think it'll blow our minds way more than tufted titmouses and dark matter and galaxies. It's going to blow our minds, and it, it, as it should. But he guides all things, and without his providential permission, nothing. Satan himself is on a very short leash with a choker chain. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that your faith will not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> I just love that. 
Satan is real. He does a lot of damage, but don't give him any more credit than he deserves. He is on a short leash, and King Jesus is on the other end. And he's going down. And he will burn in the lake of fire forever and ever. And I say, hasten the day. Hasten the day. So we just begin here in uh, verses 15 through 17 to look at Jesus and his identity. And we will... uh, this is his identity, especially as it regards as it re, has regard to the physical creation, uh, the first creation. Let me say it that way. Next week, starting at verse eighteen, we will get into his his headship over the new creation. Uh, but uh, I just my my prayer is that our hearts would be warmed toward this Jesus, that we would believe in him. When he was on the earth, um, Jesus said, work not for the bread (coughs) that passes away, but for that which endures to eternal life. And some of the crowd said, what must we do to to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And I I just appeal to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I don't just mean cognitively. I mean bank your hopes on him. Let your heart go out to him in love. We sang it earlier. Be my heart's obsession. I hope you can mean that when you sing it. And you know, if you can't if you can't mean the words that we're singing, turn It's okay, turn it into a prayer and say, Lord, I want to be there. I want to be able to say that. I really believe the Lord honors prayers that we say, right now, I I, I don't think I really want you very much, but I want to want you. I think he stoops down the weak and the lowly like Drew Woods. He will stoop down to you. But if 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 we are... If he becomes our treasure, what would that look like here at Cement City Baptist? What would that look like in our lives? I was thinking of my daughter when I was thinking of this. My daughter, I have a daughter who's into falconry. That means she hunts with a Harris hawk. She used to have a red-tailed hawk, and then she had some other falcon. Or, you know, she, she gets birds. <clears throat> And these birds fly up in the sky and they look at, they find critters and they dive down and kill them. <clears throat> I know it's kind of barbaric, but it's, it's really cool because you could take the bird out and have supper for tonight, you know. Uh, but my daughter is really, she loves birds of prey. And you know, you know she was talking on little Marco Polo thing the other well, we're going to go on a hawk walk. A hawk walk. You know, leave, it to, leave it to my daughter to come up with a name like that. You know, when you're into hawks, you know what you do? You look for them. You're driving along the road, especially in the wintertime. You see those red tails sitting on the power lines or on one of those trees, and they're just scanning the field. They're awesome looking. They're, uh, I, I, 
I saw one when I was in a deer stand one time come right out of the sky and snatch a young turkey off the ground. It was like, whoa! They're awesome. But, you know, if you're really into hawks and falconry, you talk about them. You, you probably read books on them. And every chance you get, every time you learn something new, you're eager to share it with other such people and anybody else that might listen. And sometimes you just look at pictures of them. These are things we can see. We can't see Jesus, but what would it look like if we were into, and I mean, I don't mean this in any kind of faddish way, but if we were into Jesus Christ, if he was our treasure together, what would it look like? We'd pro- we can't see him yet. He's very, very real. We'll be able to see him soon. But right now we can't see him, but he's very, very He's the one that keeps our heart beating. What would it look like if he was our treasure? Well, we'd be looking for sightings of his work. We'd be looking for him to break down walls between people to destroy strongholds that have held people in bondage for years. I'll never forget in the old church building years ago, a little old lady said, I finally forgave my parents. That doesn't just happen. That comes when Jesus shows up in answers to prayer. But if Jesus is our treasure, we're going to be looking for sightings like that. Looking for the way he makes himself visible. Like Jesus said, the wind blows. You can't see where it's coming from, where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. We're going to look for new life in others. Jesus is infinitely greater than birds or or the galaxies. I pray, I pray, my heart's prayer, the reason I preach is so that Jesus will be my treasure and yours. That's, what, that's why I do what I do. Let's pray together. I'll stay up front at, at the end of our service if anyone wants prayer for anything. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done through Jesus Christ in making the universe, time, and space, and there's so much we don't know. But Lord, wonder of wonders, you sent him as a little baby to live in a broken world. He was made in the likeness of men. He had the same fatigue factors. He'd get tired from walking all day or working in the carpenter shop. He'd get blisters. He felt what we feel, and your word says he was tempted in every way like we are, and yet without sin. He he kept true to you by faith in your promises, and he went all the way to the cross. He loved us all the way to the end, and he died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. So that, Lord, if we, just like trusting little children, would look away from ourselves and look to the cross of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me, I'm drowning. Save me, I'm lost. 
You promised that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you will forgive us and cleanse us, set us on a new road. And when we stumble and fall along that new road, you promised you'd pick us up. And Lord, how we thank you that you rose from the dead three days later, never to die again. You are king over the realm of the dead. You're king over all realms. And Lord, I just pray that you would be king over each one of us, that you would become our treasure. I ask this in your precious name. Amen.